This is Hacker Public Radio episode 3104 for Thursday, the 25th of June 2020. Today's show is entitled HPR Audiobook Club 19 Tincture, an apocalyptic proposition, and is part of the series HPR underscore Audiobook Club. It is hosted by HPR underscore Audiobook Club and is about 127 minutes long and carries an explicit flag. The summary is, the HPR Audiobook Club reviews the audiobook Tincture by Matthew D. Jordan. This episode of HPR is brought to you by Archive.org. Support universal access to all knowledge by heading over to archive.org forward slash donate. Everybody and welcome back to another episode of Hacker Public Radio. Uh, for today, we have to you um, episode 19 of the Hacker Public Radio Audio Book Club. Uh, I'm Pokey, and I'm one of your panelists today. And uh, sitting next to me, digitally in this uh, cyber book club of ours, is X1101. Thanks, Pokey. Thanks. Try try this. If I introduce you and then you introduce the next guy until we're done, that way I feel less like a host and it feels more like a round table. Well, then virtually next to me is 5150. Howdy, folks. Uh, I was just scrolling down. It was a recording episode 19. And I what was the one we released the other day? Episode 11. So is that, are we that far behind? Uh, we'll, we'll try to do better, folks. And Ken Fallon. And uh, last but not least, we have Taj. What's good, everybody? I would just like to point out to everybody in in audio land that that is not the order that the list on Mumble is. I'm just pointing that out. No, but I couldn't say cyber and then call on you after X1101 was bitching about it. You knew I'd drop a cyberspace pokey. Oh, I just did it. (laughs) You son of a bitch. And there goes our explicit tag for for the show. And good riddance to it. Uh, what was our book this this month, 50? Our book was Tincture. And I just had that open. If, you, if you'd let, if you told to find it now, uh, give you the author and all that kind of stuff. Uh, here we go. I mean, it's still open, but I have to use my tab finder to find it. And you can find it on patiobooks.com. There's a couple tincture books by the same author, so there is a sequel uh, to this one. I've actually got the sequel page open. The author is Matthew D. Jordan. <clears throat> and uh, I think the, the book's actually been around a while. One of the reviews of the sequel, I think, said... Huh, okay, well, it's just... Copyright between t- t- 2005 and 2014, so... Uh, oh, okay, no, I'm still on the sequel page, and I've been talking about nothing for way too long. Uh, Amen. Oh, well, 
Tincture Two, one of the reviews on Tincture Two says this is the best best read of 2014. So Tincture One must have been written sometime prior to that. And I don't know if anyone else noticed, but I want to say happy year anniversary to think Pokey and Taj for me joining the audio book club. Based on looking at when the first show that I was on was recorded, this is uh, a year that we've been doing this. We've been together a year? Yeah. I better stop calling you by that other girl's name, huh? Yeah, sometime. Nah, he digs it. Just keep going. But really, guys, thanks for putting up with me this long. I've been having a great time. Are you kidding? The show is better because of you. Yeah, the three of us couldn't pull the show off by ourselves. I think the three of you guys could. If I ducked out, you guys would be just fine. But we wouldn't know when to start. Oh, yeah. No, but you'd probably have someone else in charge of the calendar. You'd know when the show was. Oh, we already know when the show is. It's just nobody else does. All right, so what did you guys think of this book? Wow. That's what I thought of this book. Yeah, it's a little different. If you're if if you're one of those people that is the reader, you don't uh, you don't like not knowing what is really going on until about at least halfway through the book. Uh, then this probably isn't the book for you. It's it's one of those books that drops cookie crumbs a little bit all through it until finally comes together and you kind of see what it is that's going on. But uh, uh, for somebody that likes that sort of uh, um, you know adventure, then I I would highly recommend it. Yeah, I I think I knew right away what was going on in this book, and that was the author was not going to tell me what was going on. And I, w- I was okay with that. I, I wanted to know what was going on, but it never killed me not to find it out. So, uh, which is good. Cause I still don't think I understood the end, but we'll get there later. Um, but I, I thought the world was just really cool. Uh, and the, the way that the author spoke when telling the story was just fantastic. I think that might've been my favorite part about it. Yes, that's sort of a not a new language. Everybody's speaking English, but there are certain you know new phrases uh, that that have uh, come out that we don't. I mean, uh, if somebody, and we probably ought to explain a little more about what's going on in the book. But uh, if if someone uh, were to hear a conversation between characters in the book, they would sound uh, very very strange. Did anybody pick up any uh, like turns of phrase from this book that they now use or want to use in real life? Because I got one. Uh, times as they are. <laughs> yeah, well, <laughs> yeah, that one couldn't be avoided. No, I love the one where um, the the main character Ramuel he was sitting and talking. It must have been with. Um, Oh, I can't remember the character's name, but I'll, I'll remember it. Uh, Ova. I think it was Ova who said, don't put your words between my words, or don't put words between my words. I really liked that. I thought it was a, a fantastic turn of phrase. And things like, I'm in a quick rather than I'm in a hurry. Oh, there was all kinds of language that was very interesting. In It's not what we would say, but it made sense all the same, just probably why in their world they adopted it. Taj, how about you, man? We keep talking around you. I'm going to be real honest. I'm going to drop some knowledge about this book. Um, not Taj takes a long time to read a book. That's why he listens to everything at like three times speed. Because um, I can't get through everything 
in a month usually. Not only did I listen to this book, I listened to the sequel because I couldn't stop. <laughs> I just kept going. I love these books. There's only one problem with these books, and we will get into it um, because it is a huge problem. But other than that, they are fantastic. Preach. Oh, I did not listen to the second book. It took a lot of effort to stop listening at the end of the first book, but I didn't want it to influence my review. So I still have not heard the second book. So even when we do spoilers, don't spoil that one on me, please. But if you mean huge problems, they keep referring to guns as gunners. And that one annoyed me a little, but that's okay. That might be my only problem with it. Well, Pokey, what I want you to do is as soon as we're done, go go download the second one because wow again. I'm pretty sure I have it downloaded, but okay. So for the person who hasn't listened, who hasn't listened and is listening to us, and we'll try not to spoil it uh, till after the spoilers. But um, so these folks find themselves in a fairly desolate version of Earth, and it seems to me that they're out either in the Midwest or even further, but it's tough to tell because there's so much desolation. And there was some type of apocalyptic event, which no one can remember because they really can't remember much of anything, uh, even to a few days ago. People just don't seem to have memory um, in this particular world. And they, um, they don't seem to be able to measure time very well. So things could happen fairly rapidly or fairly slowly, and people don't really know the difference. They just know where they're at right now and what they're doing right now. And to some people, this has uh, they've gotten even accustomed to it. This seems normal to them. And so the, the apocalyptic event that happened, they call the whatever and they're now just after the whatever. And that's really the only measure of time that seems to have any importance whatsoever in this book is after the whatever. Right. It's, uh, they do say that they, you know, I know for the spoiler, they do say where the airport is that they go to. So we do know where this is though. You're, you're right, Pokey. This, uh, the area sounds far more desolate than, uh, I, I would consider, that state in modern times. So something has happened. Uh, people don't really don't know who they were before. They they know there was a world before that was that is like the world that we live in. They the, uh, a lot of it's because they've they've read about it in books and things like that that survive. But they uh, most of the people don't know don't even know what their own name was unless they happen to be carrying a wallet. And they look at their driver driver's license. And so one of the things that uh, 50 mentioned earlier is any time in the book that time is mentioned, the author always says uh, time such as it is. So if he would if he if the author were to say, you know, after a few moments, time such as it is or anything like that. And you keep hearing that in the book and it. It's a it's a gentle beating um, in the skull of a reminder that people really can't keep track of time and it doesn't mean a whole lot. Uh, sometimes they sometimes they hurry, but that really time still doesn't mean anything to it. So very very often in this book, the phrase "time such as it is" uh, comes up, and there might be something more to that than I picked up on. But uh, there's 
there is something to it regardless. That one phrase did seem overdone. It's like, okay, I get the point already. It, you don't need to do it every time you reference anything to do with time. Oh, see, I didn't think it was overdone. I thought it was just right, except for there was one spot, which we can talk about after spoilers. There was one time where I didn't think it was appropriate, but the rest of them, I thought it was like, yep, this, this, you know, just when I was starting to get into the story and, and get excited, this just reminded me, oh yeah, this is the whatever. And I, I, I liked it. Yeah, it was, it was usually, it was usually used when the characters were speaking, and this is this is the manner of speech that they now use. I don't know. I find it kind of felt like I was being hit over that, that because I very much the point that time doesn't make sense, but it, it felt like it was just kind of being bludgeoned in there. So X one one oh one, you mentioned in our little chat window here that uh, you understand the connection between this book and the Stephen King reference or references that go on in this. I've never read any Stephen King, so most of that went over my head. I, I was curious, and I know it's a Stephen King reference because he's mentioned directly, but uh, I, don't, I don't think it's too much of a spoiler to say that the bad guy carries around a Stephen King book, or at least a book that says it's by Stephen King. Um, but Oh, what, no, it, it's very much the gunslinger. No, I understand that, but is when they describe what's inside the book, is that actually the way the Stephen King book goes? Ask me that again after the spoiler section. Yeah, okay. Ask you about the Stephen King connection or the, the – No, that question specifically about what's inside of it because there's some details in there that are spoilery. But not only does this reference the gunslinger directly a lot, the whole story feels like the gunslinger. And the related stories a lot. Okay. Uh, the Gunslinger. Yeah. The Gunslinger is the first book in the Dark Tower series, and I'm not going to spoil that for anybody other than stop and go read it at some point. But if you've read it, if you're going to read it, this parts of this story feel a lot like that story, not in the details, but in settings and flow and things like that. Oh, that's cool. I like the flow. I thought it was very comfortable read yeah i think that's the only king series i really missed is the is dark tower well in a lot of ways almost every book he's written is part of the dark tower series so i tried briefly uh i haven't had much free time lately i did try briefly to look up some of these character names because uh, they that some of them had very weird names you know ramuel was the main character abranya was um, his uh, the secondary character, a woman who they have a, a more of a family, like a brother sister relationship uh, than anything else. There was the bad guy was Affulan, and maybe I didn't spell the names right, but I couldn't find any of them anywhere except for Ramuel. I found listed as the name of an angel in a video game series. And, uh, and maybe, like I said, maybe I spelled the other ones wrong. Maybe they're all trying to reference angels or some such thing. But uh, anybody else have anything to say on that? Well, from her full name, and I, you, I'd have to go back in the book and find it. That's it's it sounded like she uh, uh, sounded like an Arab name. So you're right. I'm surprised not to find that. That. Hey, Taj, you there? Yeah, I got booted for some reason. I don't, I don't know why, but yeah. 
Oh, wow. Okay. I was waiting a few times for you to say something. Oh, now 50 got kicked. Not kicked, but uh, disconnected. Did anyone correct um, 5150 about her name, that it's Hebrew, not Arabic? I was about to, but then he disappeared, and I was going to wait till he came back on. Too late. Already did it. Sorry. Well, and, I go ahead. So I just didn't catch that because my knowledge of language, languages, and religions is poor. I kind of made the sum, same assumption. No, no, it said it in the book. She said it's a he. Our, uh, she didn't. Marcus said that's a Hebrew word that means uh, what was it? See, I thought that was Rachel that he said was a, a Hebrew name. Oh, Hebrew. Uh, yes, Rachel is a Hebrew name, but he said that Abranya was a Hebrew word that meant something. And now suddenly I can't remember what it was. Something like peace or, or uh, shoot. Taj, any, any recollection of that? I don't remember specifically what it means, but th- that was the conversation that it, that it was a, her name was Hebrew. Yeah, 50. I don't know if you caught on that. Abranya, uh, in the book, they said is a Hebrew word that means something, something like peace or understanding or something like that. Something that had no place in this book. I also looked up the names of some of the characters, but I'm going to save it for the spoiler section because I think if we talk about it, it will kind of give something away. Oh, okay. Um, I was going to say Ramuel also sounds fairly Hebrew to me because there's several Hebrew names that end in UL. There's, you know, Samuel, Lemuel. Um, so it makes sense that, that Ramuel may mean something. And I think the UL sound means of God. So there was kind of an angel connection uh, in the name itself, as well as in me looking that up too. But um, as far as whether or not that showed up in the book, um, first of all, I'm undecided. And second of all, if I was decided, it would be a spoiler. Yeah, one trouble with the book, and sorry guys, uh, Plumble just up and flat uh, crashed on me. Uh, it it It's hard to talk about this book in the pre-spoiler segment because there are so many themes that you you get the cookie crumbs through the book. I mean, we're not talking so much about events here as we are, you know, this quest for knowledge that we all went through trying to figure out what was going on. Oh, I can say a few things that are not at all spoilers then, if you don't mind. Um, I will say that the reading of this book... Uh, the reading and the, the writing and the reading are so unique and so interesting that they're worth listening to, even if there were no story. Just the turn of phrase, the way it was written, I thought was excellent. I really, really enjoyed it. Um, and go ahead, if anybody has something to say about that, I, I have another point when we're done with this one. Well, one thing we could talk about that uh, Ramuel is a tanker. Now, that's not to say that he drives a tank, uh, though they also mention those in the story. But apparently after the whatever, some people turned up with a thermos-sized tank on their back and with, with two tubes running into, the, running into their back. And nobody knows what they're for, what's in it. And... Uh, Anybody, whether they're a tanker or not, who tries to remove one has sort of like a mental block where they can't. Yep, and the tankers seem to be abnormally strong and quick. Yes, I was going to say that too and forgot it. 
I want to talk about the music. <laughs> that <laughs> was my other point. Thank you. The music is a remarkably varied for what the story is. You think kind of going into it, it's post-apocalyptic. It's kind of Western that it would be music like that, but it is extremely varied, but all at the same time fits perfectly. Like so much so that I went to the website for the book, um, not patio books, but the actual website for the book. And um, the author gives links to all the music that he used. And I could just sit and listen to that just completely separate from the book. And it still evokes sort of that, the, the feeling of the book. That was going to be my other point was that the music in this book was excellent. And I, caught on real early that it was that he's using creative commons music so i knew somewhere there were going to be links to this there was going to be attribution because i recognized almost i'm going to say maybe a third of the songs that he used in the book i recognized them as stuff that i've heard on like cchitch.net or maybe on rat hole radio um but they were stuff that i've heard before and they were all excellent there were one or two songs that i didn't care for but that's just personal preference um this guy really knows what he's doing in so far as finding good creative commons music did we reach out to him to come to the audiobook club i'm not sure oh man i didn't even reach out to us with a calendar invite him so no i didn't i'm sorry I'm just curious. I would love to talk to this guy. I was thinking that, too, that we should just have an interview with him. I mean, if you guys felt the same way about the book as I do, and you seem to. We did it with Lost and Bronx. I don't see it, it's, you know, something we've done before. So I'd be interested in doing it if we can get a hold of him. Me yeah, too. I, I would, too, for sure. Yeah, this this book is is a whole nother level good. It, it, not even a whole nother level, a whole different level. It's just different, and it's fantastic. Most most times when artists try to do something weird, it just winds up being weird. But this is really, really excellent. I can't say that enough. And we should say something probably at this point where the title comes from, Tincture. Uh, uh, Ramiel and Abranya. And, and mainly Abranya, she, she's the one who knows how to mix the tinctures, which are, you know, usually alcohol-based and uh, then mixed with found items from, uh, from that come from before the whatever, uh, you know, coffee or tobacco or something like that uh, to cure headaches or something. And then this is how they apply their trade is they try to find a place from before the whatever that hasn't been com- completely picked over and get these uh, secret uh, you know uh, ingredients for these secret remedies I guess one of the ones they're looking for is anything with dried blood on it which is uh, seemed rather unsanitary to me I think she also mixes her tincture tinctures in the same way that I do my cooking, in that the main ingredient is love. Aww. Pokey, come back. Well, I'm, I'm here. I didn't go far. We got the main ingredient is... Oh, is love. Okay, I thought you were going to say alcohol. No, I think it was you that left, because Taj got it. Yeah, I heard him. Oh, well then that's me. Sorry. That's true. There's an awful lot of reference to ferment in this book, and... For the first couple of times I heard it, I thought I thought 
he was saying well no i i didn't think he was saying my brain was hearing firmament so i was thinking like territory or ground you know like solid earth but then i caught on after a bit that was my own feeling out of place yeah that's it it uh i don't it i think that was one thing that might have been wrong i don't i don't think uh it they talk about it later in the story but i don't think it it would be a uh a spoiler but that there in this world their uh preferred method for disposing of their dead was you know to to light a bonfire and they have the bonfire soaked in in uh ferment now the thing is most of the oh. stuff that, most of the stuff that well pretty much pretty much anything that you that uh you can distill is also edible for humans so and when it seems like everybody is so hungry all the time in this story i wonder where they get the additional foodstuffs and grains or whatever they use to uh mix all this alcohol oh i thought you were going to say that it's very hard to light a fire with alcohol because it kind of is it goes up in in just a, a flash and there's no no flame or heat left to ignite the fire we're humans man we'll find a way to make alcohol well, that's true, but if you if we had all the if we had all this alcohol for the normal use, do you think you know all these guys sitting around the bar they're going to they're going to say, oh yeah, sure, take our bottle and you now they'd, they'd get shovels. I mean, Pokey, we'll find a way to make alcohol, but then we're going to drink the alcohol. Yeah, it's true. You and me both. Yeah, but alcohol has a lot of other you know reasons to exist, like sanitation. Um, they use it to drive vehicles as much as they can. So, I mean, there are other uses for it. It's useful other than, you know, just drinking. Yeah. I'm not so sure you can power a gasoline engine on alcohol um, without any further modification. I think that was one little bit of uh, artistic license that he took with this. Maybe a diesel, but I don't think a gasoline engine. No, no, you can, just not for very long, which was kind of the point they made. No, yeah, it, an engine will run just fine on pure alcohol. It'll eat up all the rubber parts that are in it, and then you'll have a, you know, melting cinder block in front of you, but it'll run for a while. Well, that's true. You'd have to change the hoses and stuff on an older vehicle, though I think anything, uh, I think anything built after a certain year is supposed to be alcohol ready, or at least gasohol ready. Well, well, that's the difference is it's gasohol versus alcohol to run on. I, I did some digging on the whole ethanol thing and to run on straight ethanol, not E85 or anything, but straight ethanol. You, you have to replace pretty much all the rubber parts with something that's not going to get eaten by your fuel. Uh, I think up to the 85, most stuff runs OK, but pure grain alcohol is going to destroy everything that's not metal in your engine. <laughs> Oh, I didn't know that that rubber was dissolved in alcohol. Yeah, and I, I should have said said that, uh, but it's it seems the the problems with the motors aren't that they're they're dying because the uh, uh, the fuel line breaks down. There, it, it's it seems like anything that they can get to run, it's got bad rings and bad bearings, and it, it it's only going to make it a few miles. And no oil and tires that are stitched together with with scraps of rubber and twine. 
Right. They indicate that all the tires have gone flat. So, and which you know, why could they? Why could they get the car out of the uh, airport? Uh, though I think they did indicate they're just running it on flat tires. Uh, but uh, yeah, yeah. The everybody's everybody who's driving around is driving around on essentially solid rubber tires. There was also, if we're going to go this deep into it, quite a bit of artistic license taken in the fact that the cars would turn over at all because they were described as being in such a state of decay and decrepitness that there's no way a battery would have any life left in it, especially in this dry environment as they were talking about. You would have just you know, evaporated off half of the electrolyte in there and the other half would have broken down into its constituents and evaporated as well. Not to mention the oil and the fuel and... Yeah, all that stuff would have varnished and gummed up, but that that's okay. That's I got to, that's easy enough to get over. Well, and then you pour straight alcohol in it, and a lot of that stuff just kind of dissolves and turns into goo, and then gets into the engine, and you can see the results. Oh man, engines run on goo all the time. It's crazy how poorly people take care of their cars. That's a whole other conversation. Guilty. Todd, anything to add to the conversation? You're very quiet tonight. No, I'm just sitting here listening, taking it all in. I'm. I'm- I'm dying for some spoilers because that's that's where I'm going to shine. <laughs> I'm, I'm going to get on it when we get to the spoiler section. Has anybody played Fallout? Yep. Any of them? No, but I like the idea of the game. This, for some reason, I played Fallout 3 for quite a while, and this kind of started ringing some of those bells minus the everything's irradiated piece. Yeah, it does feel like a Fallout game for sure. Do the guns work in Fallout? Yes, that that wasn't the part I was just the whole post-apocalyptic using weird things for currency in weird ways, scarcity, random violence, those kinds of things. Yeah, that's one thing we haven't talked about. They use what they call green money for for cash. But in this post-apocalyptic world, I can't say that word. Uh you know, a one dollar bill and a hundred dollar bill are the count is the same. So it's just it's a green piece of paper to them. Yeah, I get the impression that no one really remembers math. And I, I don't know though, I don't think there would be a any scientific reason for a cartridge not, not firing after a period of time. Yeah, they could rust up, but uh I I would think I can't imagine what would cause the powder or the, or the primer to deteriorate. I don't think it was a, a case of deterioration. I think it was uh, more metaphysical and, and setting. Well, true. And when we get past, past the uh, spoilers, we can start to speculate who or what caused the, uh, the whatever. But I think you're right. I think it seems like that there was some sort of intelligence behind it and perhaps they didn't want people shooting at other people but one one place where the author uh or i I re-listened to the first chapter yesterday after i finished the book and at the beginning he says that guns don't work very well uh because only about one in 30 rounds actually fires whereas when we you know, later in the book, when they do start shooting at each other, it's it's more like one out of three will fire. 
I was going to mention that. It did, did seem like they had a much better odds than were described early on in the book. And that may have been, you know, like you said, there may be some intelligence behind the whatever. And that may have been part of the intelligence that gave them better odds. But, you know, uh, more on that later, I guess. No, they were plot bullets. Damn it. I was just <laughs> going for the joke. <laughs> They're literally plot bullets. <laughs> you guys nailed it, both of you. And I guess we can talk about, or you know, pretty early in the book, Ramiel and Abrania have been traveling together for uh, they don't know how long. Time they know such they, as it is. Yes, and they had they used to have other companions that have died, but they don't remember who they are. I mean, this is this is all after the whatever. I mean, somebody somebody dies next week, you don't you don't remember them, and. In, uh, and then they come to a hospital where it shouldn't be out in the middle of the desert, and they meet a third companion. And people are not very trusting of each other, so he, the third guy, he finds Ramuel rummaging through his stuff. Ramuel was had assumed just that there wasn't anybody there, and you know they. It seems like a every time people meet new people. In this story, it's uh, depending on the circumstance that you, since there is such mistrust in the world, you don't know who's going to kill you to take your stuff. Everybody sort of assumes. So every time you meet somebody, uh, everybody's just on a hair trigger to start a fight. Yeah, that's that's something interesting, too, that I I had thought of when listening to the book is in a world like this, they build the author builds a world in where no one can really afford to trust a stranger. So anytime you meet up with somebody, it's probably going to end in one of you dying. And Ramuel is a tanker, so he's got this extra strength to him. And Abranya seems to also have a little more strength than the average person wandering around in this world. And it seems to me like the author was trying to make the point that compassion comes from strength because in this world you kind of have to be strong enough to be kind if you're if you're kind without strength to back it up it's going to be a weakness and and it's going to be your end see i didn't get that she was stronger i got that she was faster and smarter well that i didn't mean physically stronger i'm sorry mentally stronger is what i meant for her okay well then i i concur and then, of course, there's other characters in the book who have physical strength or mental strength or, uh, you know, maybe strength over other people. And they all seem to be fairly cruel. And there are, you know, in, as seems to be always always a, a facet of post-apocalyptic, hey, I got it right that time, fiction. No, you didn't. Uh, close enough. You guys know what I mean. Uh, you know, there's the, there's the, you know, crazy religious groups, you know, uh, building forts out, out in the uh, desert as well, that really don't take kindly to anybody who's not part of their, part of their group. And early in the book, the three, uh, three travelers find themselves out of water and out of options. Uh, and so they have to approach, uh, one of these, uh, fortified, towns to to uh try to uh get some water and some work post-apocalyptic nothing 
We got those now. I was going to make that point. Wait, I was distracted briefly. I'm sorry. We got what now? Crazy religious groups building forts out in the wilderness. Oh, yeah. And, and not taking kindly to folks who don't agree with them. Now, let me be clear here. I'm all about folks having their own religion and folks having their own space. It's the not taking kindly to folks that I kind of take take offense with. Fair enough. Do what your heart tells you, unless your heart tells you to shoot at me. Then don't do that. My heart tells me to drink a beer. Well, then do that. I can't until we have our beverage review thing. It's my only one tonight. Well, the only one I should drink tonight. Well, then let's do that. Is everybody done talking about unspoilers? Yes. Uh, I just want a beer. All right. You guys mind if I start tonight? Please do. Oh, shit. I thought I double keyed. X1101, are you back? Or uh, did you leave? He just walked away. Oh, damn it all. I he, I wanted him to hear this one. This is pretty good. All right. Why don't someone else go first who doesn't care if X1101 hears it or not? Well, I'm retrieving said be- beverage as we speak. You know what? I'm buying each one of you guys one of these bottle-shaped beer koozies, so you can put your beer in the koozie before the show, and it'll sit next to you and be cold when it comes time for the review. It does seem to be a recurring problem. <laughs> well, I will go since everyone else is busy getting their beverage. Um, I got a little crazy today, and I'm drinking a half iced tea, half lemonade concoction that is pretty tasty. Ooh, is it carbonated? It is not. I wouldn't like it if it was. So <laughs> it's just straight up iced tea and some lemonade is good. Nice. So Josh, I take that was my question as well. Pokey, is this something he made himself rather than something he purchased? Oh yeah, it definitely homemade. That's the only way to roll. Well, I mean, I didn't like grow the tea leaves or anything. But, you know, the tea I bought, I made, and then the lemonade I made. So as homemade as it gets. Now you said you. You buy lemon? Did you say you grow lemons? You say you had a lemon tree? No, I wish that would be awesome. As much money as I spend on lemons, I'd probably save some cash if I had a tree. But no, unfortunately, we we can't grow them here reliably. Why did I think you said you had a lemon tree? Okay, yeah, buying lemons—that makes sense. All right, X one one hundred one is back. So, all right, I remember. Let me see if I can key up and get my hand off this thing. All right, there it is, holding my mic open. All right, I remember on one of our episodes, I believe it was 50, had an Innis and Gun beer. I don't remember exactly which one it was, but we all thought it sounded like he was saying Innocent Gun. And if there was ever an Innocent Gun, it was Ramuel in this story. So when I saw an Innocent Gun beer in the store today, I grabbed it. And this is, uh, they just call it their... um, Oak-aged beer. It is uh, Innocent Gun rum-aged beer aged with rum oak chips. And I don't think they could say aged or rum or oak anymore uh, than they did. And it's a bottle that I'm going to open with my new metal uh, wallet tool thingy like we were talking about last month. I got a Metal Ant, it's called, which is similar to the Wallet Ninja and made by the same people as Wallet Ninja. But... I like that the bottle opener was facing the right direction on this one, so you get a little more leverage to open it. So here, it opens beers just fine. Did you say metal ant? Because if I if I Google that, I'm coming up with just pictures of metal ants. Yes, I did say metal ant. If you add the letters A R I I C, 
you come up with the company. And I think they really like the name Metal Ant because there seems to be two completely different and disparate products called Metal Ant by this company. It's same font in their name and everything, but apparently they have a, uh, I don't know, like a, a hard drive case or something made out of aluminum, and they call it the Metal Ant. And then they have this thing, this multi-tool that fits in your wallet that's called the Metal Ant. And so the oak-aged rum beer by Innis and Gun is is kind of nice. It's got um, that nice, uh, subtle, like hard liquor taste to it without tasting like hard liquor. If that kind of makes any sense, it's it's you can get a little bit of the the sour mash that would be in there, and a little bit of the um, I don't know, kind of the nose of a of a hard liquor without it, you know, it doesn't actually have it. Um, that's, that's kind of nice as an aftertaste to a beer, uh, kind of like the, the Kentucky bourbon beers that we've talked about on here before. It's fairly mild. It's pretty sweet. Um, it's almost not bitter at all to, to my taste and, um, just a little bit of carbonation, not too much. Um, it's nice. It's, it's a little too sweet for me to drink it every day um it's thick enough which i like but uh maybe a little too much on the sweet side to have a whole bunch of them i'm pretty sure my wife and i've had those yeah and it's 6.8 percent alcohol by volume if anybody cares about such things excuse me oh they want this sucker cold bottle says serve at four to six degrees celsius i i bet that that would make the the sweet a little more palatable yeah maybe i i sometimes i think drinking beer too cold kind of hides too many of the, the flavors, especially if they're subtle flavors. Oh, I agree. I agree. Yeah, there are a lot of beers intended to be had closer to room temperature. Yeah, I don't know how close to room temperature I want to get my beer, but I think it's closer than three or four degrees. <clears throat> and uh, this Metal Ant wallet tool is almost okay. I've opened a couple of beers with it, but um, I haven't needed it for opening beers. I've always been near a beer opener. I opened a box with it, but the box cutter on it is kind of lame because it's not on the corner, so it's not really where I would want a box cutter to be. Uh, It has a couple of wrenches on it that I don't think I'll ever use. It's got a cell phone stand that I may or may not ever use, Uh, but it's got a built-in can opener, which I think is a good idea, like the old, um, uh, what are they, P38s, I think, that was the the standard issue can opener it's got that kind of a manual can opener built into it and it's got a couple of screwdrivers and one of them even though it's flat is shaped and sized uh as if to work on a phillips head screw and just use only two of the slots which i thought was a a really good idea i hadn't seen that before and it seems to work or no i had seen it once before but still it seems to work so i guess it's all right it was less than 10 bucks and I got a couple other, I hate to steal the review section, but since we talked on it the last show, I got a couple of other wallet tools too that I wanted to compare them. And I got another one that was on Amazon. It was like $2 or something. And it's like silvery and doesn't seem to have a brand name or anything. It's just kind of import from China. And I can't see any use to that thing at all. It's completely useless. Uh, it's smaller than a credit card and it's got sharp edges. So it kind of has to sit in a little plastic bag that it comes in or it's going to tear the shit out of your wallet so that thing was almost completely useless and i got a third one one that i'd seen a couple times 
and I have to take it out of my wallet here to see the name of it. But it's a Ian Sinclair Designs Card Sharp, and it's a knife kind of embedded in a piece of plastic, and you unlock it, and then it folds out into a knife, which is kind of handy to have with you. But then, and, and I'll carry it and see if I ever need it and see how it does in real use. But it's um, very thin metal. It's very flimsy in feel. And it was super, super hard to sharpen because it was so flexible. And it's really hard to hold the thing with any kind of leverage on it. So even with my really nice sharpener that Taj said he loves, it was very difficult to get a good edge on this thing. But now that it's got it, I don't know if I'll ever need it. But it has it. That's all that matters. Yeah, I know. I know. I've, it it started getting really frustrating, and that made me more determined. But it's shaving sharp now. Yeah, I tried to do that with one of my knives with a stoke whetstone, and I, I, I'm almost sure I did more harm than good. It's not hard to do. It. I've never really used a whetstone to any good effect, but I've seen on videos a tip that several people have given out. Um, is that if you're not used to using a whetstone or you're not good at using a whetstone yet, to make yourself a little wedge that's at the angle that you want. You rest your knife on it, and there's kind of you don't slide the the wedge along with your knife, um, but you just use it as a starting point, and it helps you to keep your knife at the right angle as you're sharpening. Well, that's an interesting idea. I love sharpening systems, but I'm pretty sure on certain knives, just a bare stone is the way to get the sharpest uh, edge on a blade. I mean, sometimes just going back to the, the basics is where it's at. Oh, I used a file. Well, actually, I used a, it's a diamond sharpening stone, but I used it like a file to try and sharpen my lamb splitter. And that's been working pretty good. But I had had a couple of beers one night, and I wanted to see how how tough the knife was. And I'd heard that people can cut wine bottles open with a, a sharp enough, strong enough knife. So I tried it on a beer bottle, and it just put a big dent in the blade of the knife. So it's clearly not a tempered steel. Yikes. If I could slow clap and push to talk at the same time, I would be. <laughs> hey, man, I tried it. Sorry, I've hogged up so much of the review. Uh, 50, what do you got? What are you drinking tonight, buddy? I have perhaps one of the more unique uh, brews that, I, that I've had a chance to review. This is uh, Shiner's Prickly Pear. And see, I picked this up. I thought they were uh, they were just being cute, and this was going to be a parry, which for people who, who don't know what I mean, a parry is a, uh, like a, uh, you know, like ap- apple, apple cider, um, you know, alcoholic al- apple cider. This would be doing the same thing with pears. So I was expecting something fairly sweet, so I brought it home, opened one up, took a sip, and instead of something that's pretty sweet, I got that was incredibly dry, not a not a whole lot of flavor, some a uh, little bitter. It's twenty, it's twenty IBU, so it's not it's not terribly bitter, uh, and just a hint of sweet. You know that you more have have as an aftertaste. They weren't kidding. This beer is actually made with cactus. 
prickly pear cactus. Now, I don't know if they've added the cactus uh, after fermentation or if they've actually used it as the malt. Uh, on the bottle, well, I should have seen, looked at the bottle because it's got prickly pears all, all over the label. I guess I didn't look that close. And it does show them with the fruit on there, and I don't, it, I don't know if that's where they're getting the sweetness. I know yes. that, okay, because I, I know that you can, uh, I've only had it a couple of times, a local, uh, local restaurant actually uh, picks prickly pear cactus and they make, you know, they, they slice up the pad like uh, uh, French cut green beans and, and serve as a side dish and it tastes just exactly like green beans almost. So, you know, uh, it, it's interesting, but I'm not sure it'd be, it would be uh, worth the effort because I, I was doing a little looking into harvesting uh, uh, cactus because, of course, I've got prickly pears all over my pasture. And apparently you have to do it with thick gloves, not necessarily because of the spines, but once you've picked all the spines out, they're tiny little cilia that you cannot see and they will get into your skin like uh, fiberglass fibers and make you itch like crazy and are almost impossible to remove. So I don't know. I would I would think I would rather have professionals handle my uh, cactus preparation because, you know, who knows if you got any of that stuff into the actual food. But... I don't know if I if I ever get into home brewing, I've got a I've got a uh, pasture full of cactus to experiment with. So, but it seems it seems rather dangerous because I think these cilia they're even on the fruit. So, as far as the beer, it's growing on me. The first one I had, I I really didn't care much for. It would be very refreshing, I think, on a hot day. Uh, but the dryness in there, I think, dries your th- dries your throat out as well. I mean, I think it'd be a thirst quencher, but um, it definitely leaves a very distinct taste in your mouth, even though it doesn't have a whole a whole lot of flavor as you're drinking it. So I don't know. I've, I you know generally I like pretty much anything Shiner does, and they're it's a very affordable for for a premium beer. But I'm not sure I would ever buy this again. You said one thing I can relate to, and that's prickly pears have a unique and distinctive flavor. It's it's really hard to describe them because they don't taste quite like anything else. And it's it's not something you're used to. So your first bite of one is not like, hey, this is great. Um, it's just so different. For me, anyway, it was. It was so different from anything that it took some getting used to. And um, once I got used to it, I, I don't think they're worth all the effort. But that's just me. But you you can probably fifty. You can probably get them at the grocery store if you just wanted to try them without uh, exposing yourself to to all the danger part of it. Which it sounds like there there's more than I was aware of. Yeah, I think they do sell jars of it already cut and everything in the in the uh, grocery store. No, oh, I've never seen it in jars. I only ever just bought the whole fruit. Oh, okay. I haven't I haven't seen that now. You know, and I've seen the the fruit with the, you know, the thick, you know, peeled or well, you wouldn't actually peel it, but 
you know, the outer part cut off with a knife. And once that's done, I mean, I saw it on the internet when I looked this up. It looks like uh, kiwi, sort of. I think the one that I've had had kind of a red flesh to it and a ton of seeds. Well, I, that's what I meant. It's 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 like red in the center and sort of yellow orange on the outside. I meant I meant how it was constructed, not uh, not the actual color. Oh, okay, all right. Um, yeah, I don't think I remember. It's been a while. It didn't taste anything like green beans, though. That was weird that you said that. I thought they were fairly sweet. Well, you're thinking of the fruit. I'm talking about the pad. Oh, oh, the cactus itself, the plant itself. Yeah, the big round part. Oh, okay. Yeah, that's what I've had. I've never had any. I've never had any of the fruit, though. Looking at the article, it tells me I never knew what time of year to pick it. And they said the fruit's always edible, but it's it's only going to taste good when it's you know sort of the blood red, purplish you know color to the outside. So I may try that sometime. It's got a I mean, ton of seeds in it. I, I I didn't think it was worth all the effort to spit all the seeds out. Oh, so it wasn't like kiwi then that you couldn't just eat the seeds? No, it was more like um, grape seeds inside, which I know people who just crunch the grape seeds too, so maybe you can tolerate it. I think I wound up just doing that with the prickly pear, was just swallowing the seeds, just saying to hell with it, because it was too much work to spit them out. And now there's a cactus growing in my belly. Well, where where I'm moving to, I'm going to have trouble not stepping on them every time I walk outside, so... Uh, you know, I, I have plenty of raw material. Cool. X1101, what do you got, buddy? I saved the last glass of a very special bottle of bourbon I bought when I was on vacation. I bought a bottle of Wild Turkey Rare Breed. That is a barrel-proof version of Wild Turkey, which is a straight bourbon whiskey. The... Batches are about 55% alcohol by volume. Very, very sharp smell. I, I take mine with one or two cubes of ice, and then I let it breathe a little bit, let a little bit of the ice melt, so not quite neat. A lot like your uh, Wild Turkey 101, but a much smoother, but also much more powerful taste. Mm, so very good. Did it have a real special price on it, too? What's a bottle of that cost? It's a 700 milliliter bottle. It's about 40 bucks, or it was where I got it. Oh, that's not too terrible for that size. No. Um, the wild turkey's good. There's a, a four rows one that's about the same price that's also very good. I think that's their small batch. They've got a barrel, a single barrel one that's more expensive. And the other one in this price range that's also as good is um, Woodford's. Woodford's Reserve. Okay. So what does wild turkey taste like? It's, um, for a bourbon, it's a little, a little heavy on the rye, but as it steps up into the higher, the higher proofs, that, that really mellows out. And so you get the, the flavor without quite so much sharpness that for me, at least that that's the real downside to a lot of the bourbons and ryes that are heavy on rye is they the ones that aren't aged well or aren't filtered well just get really sharp pleasant but this is this is quite nice yeah some of the cheaper bourbons even can be 
sharp and unpleasant. I agree with you there. The the Jim Beams and the Jack Daniels, I think, are, are – I've never really enjoyed either one of them, though I did drink my fair share of Jim Beam at one point. Um, yeah, it, I, I know what you're saying. Uh, you call Jack Daniels bourbon, didn't you? Oh, it is, is it? It's it, – yeah, that's right. What is it, a Tennessee it's a, whiskey no, or something? A, that's or? a Tennessee whiskey. It is not a Kentucky bourbon. Yeah, excuse me, my my mistake. Them's fighting words. Yeah, they can be in some parts. I, yeah, but I have absolutely nothing against Jack Daniels. It's a fairly nice beverage. It's just not bourbon. Right. I don't even like it. I don't think it's very good. <laughs> but that's just me. It's too woody for my taste. Oh, see, that's that's what I one of the things I love about a good bourbon. Actually, at Christmas time, my dad and I bought a bottle. Uh, it was a Wild Turkey 101, but it came with a little pint jar and a kind of a corkscrew cut chunk of charred wood. And you put the corkscrew, the chunk of wood and the bourbon in the jar and you left it for two weeks. And it got crazy dark like it had been aged in a barrel for quite a bit longer. And so you got a lot more of the smoky woody flavors. And that was really out of this world good for a you know $22 bourbon. Huh. That's not a bad idea. Um I don't know if they they have them in the the liquor stores down there, but at Christmas time in the stores here we get these little holiday gift pack things. It's usually like a bottle of this and a glass to go with it or a couple sample size bottles of this that or the other. And this was a bottle of 101 and the mason jar and the wood chunk with instructions. At one point, I had a full set of, um, they were kind of like inverted Christmas tree shaped glasses, but they were from Kahlua because they came with a bottle of Kahlua. Yes, I mean, this, and this is what we got this last year for Christmas. My father was up. He, he is the one who turned me into a bourbon drinker. That's pretty cool. Hey, since we're in our beverage review section, uh, well, do you have more years? I don't mean to cut you off. It's good. Go get you some. <laughs> okay. So it's coming up on uh, like hiking and camping season. And I think one of the things I want to add to my kit this year is a flask and uh, some booze to go in the flask. So maybe you guys could make some suggestions as to like I keep looking for a decent flask and they all seem to be. Uh, like they all seem to have a plastic cap and I'm afraid that that cap's going to bust. So I want one that's like eight ounces, I think would be ideal and a, uh, a metal cap anyway, that isn't going to break is, is going to be a prerequisite for mine. Though I did see one that was interesting that the whole top of the flask, so you could get in there and clean it, but it was a little bulky. So I don't know if I want to do that. So do you guys have any suggestions for a good flask and something good to put in it though i was thinking maybe absinthe would be nice on a uh a hammock camping trip but that's you know maybe not i don't know i don't know i could swear in both the food section and the camping section of walmart here i've seen metal flasks with what appeared to be a metal top i never i uh i never picked one up to uh to actually see if it was or not but sure looks like a shiny metal top and the type that you know is on a hinge so you don't lose it yeah they're shiny they're chromed but it's like chromed plastic and that worries me because that plastic's usually fairly brittle if it were like that tough plastic like the uh 
the um, uh, Stanley stuff is made of. That's that's okay. That was one of the flasks I was looking at. But yeah, the, those shiny caps aren't actually metal. None of them that I've seen in person are anyway. Yeah, and that's probably not something you want to go leaking in your pocket. I just threw a picture in chat of a flask that I have. I have the larger of the two pictured there. Oh, okay. Yeah, I don't want anything with a skull. I'm not into skulls, but anyway. But yeah, put put these links in the show notes too, by the way. I think there's a bunch of links going by in our chat that aren't hitting the show notes. And they should. Is it a metal cap or is it like a chrome-plated metal cap? I mean a chrome-plated plastic cap. That's a great question, to which I don't actually have an answer. Oh, yeah, that usually is what makes something a, a good question. doesn't actually make it a good question. It just makes people say it's a good question. That's neat, though. What do you put in your, your flask, which is also isn't probably more important than the flask itself? What are you putting in that? Uh, I put wild turkey in mine, and then I put it in the freezer for a while, and then I take it with me when we go to the beach because I hate the beach, and that's how I tolerate the beach. Okay. Is that an 8-ounce flask? I don't actually know. Is it too much booze, or is it just enough booze? I'm at the beach surrounded by sand. I'm not sure there's too much booze. Yeah, see, I don't mind being surrounded by sand. I don't like sand in my butt crack, but being surrounded by it's okay. Oh, speaking of going to the beach and it being, like, mostly terrible, I we bought um, a couple of uh, – I don't know if you've seen them. They make these, like, half tents. And you can set them up in the sand, and it's like a half a tent. It's got a floor, and it's got like plenty of sunshade. And I think they're usually like fifty or sixty bucks, but I, they were on clearance at Walmart for like fifteen dollars. So I bought two of them, and my wife said we don't need two of them. So if you want one, you can have one. Well, what I want is to not go to the beach. Yeah, but if and no one would see you drinking your flask if you were in it. You're assuming he cares if anyone sees him drinking his flask or not. That's true. That's true. It's, uh, yeah, you don't often care if anyone sees you drinking after the whatever. I see what you Times did there. they are. <laughs> I hope you did. It was it was as obvious I could make it without being subtle. Is this your way, Pokey, of telling us we need to get back to talking about the story? Well, yeah, but not in like a, a accusatory or judgmental way since I'm the one that got us so sidetracked. He was trying to be smooth and then we pointed it out and just totally train wrecked it. Nah, I wasn't really trying to be... That's not going to work at this point. Well, come on. Trainwreck is what we do. Well, I want to hear um, about the the Stephen King connections. Okay, so the first most prominent, most obvious one is Afulan and Marcus's guns. They're described as great big blue steel... Not steel, but great big blue with... St- and they were very clear on this. They're sandalwood grips. And that is exactly the way that Roland's guns are described in The Gunslinger. And hopefully pictures to follow if I can find them. Blue steel is an accurate description, which is something that when I started getting the guns, I was a little disappointed about. But when they say blue steel, what they mean is black. Um, bluing is a, a chemical process that has some degree of rust uh, inhibition, inhibitants, or someone else can conjugate for me, but it's it's to try to stop rust It's uh, is the bluing, but it winds up being very black, usually, if it's done really well. And these guns are described as being massive. 
Yeah, very often uh, revolvers kind of would be because you'd have like a, your magnum sized cartridges. So you'd, you'd have a big, massive revolver, not like a little, uh, you know, like 38 is, is not a small cartridge, but usually a 38 special is a small gun. Um, so if they have massive guns, they're probably massive cartridges, which is not unheard of. I'm trying to find a good sure. And uh, Pokey isn't bluing more more of a coating than a chemical process because it does tend to wear off over time. No, bluing is absolutely a chemical process. It's it's a form of rust, though it's not oxidation. Uh, I believe is is how I stand what I read about it. But it's it's not a, a coating. Well, that would uh, a coating would be like um, parkerization. I think is uh, is what they they do nowadays for a coating yeah bluing is bluing is like bare steel it's just got that protective layer of of essentially rust okay so the description of the guns is similar um and one detail that afiolan picks up on and i picked up on too because i will freely admit i am a dark tower nerd is one of marcus's old family's name the one who taught him to shoot, his name was Roland. Roland is the name of the gunslinger from Stephen King's The Gunslinger. Okay. And just the longer the story goes on, the more it feels like the author tried to create parallels there. Yeah, I kind of figured that he was doing that, and I just wasn't able to pick up on it, having never read any Stephen King. I, I, but I could tell that's what was going on. To to give you just enough information to know what the gunslinger is, they're kind of somewhere between a cowboy and uh, an, like a King Arthur's era knight is kind of where they are. Okay. And seriously badass. So like a U.S. Marshal type. Times several hundred thousand more badass. See, this was my number one thing that I disliked about these books is the Stephen King references. I was just like, to me, it felt like there was a point in the middle of the book where I was like, is this supposed to be like almost Dark Tower fan fiction? Like, is that really what I'm supposed to be getting out of this? Because the world is so cool on its own. I didn't understand why it had to keep referencing somebody else's books even though they're supposedly awesome i my wife is totally a dark tower nerd um i've not read them but it's just i wanted the story to be the story and thankfully it it got less and less and less as the story went on but um it just every time somebody brought up Stephen king it just drove me crazy and see i come at it from the other side where except for the yes this is almost another dark tower book but it was well done and the, the feel was the same. The Dark Tower, specifically The Gunslinger, which is the book they keep referencing, consistently – I mean it is set in a kind of a desolate, barren, deserty world where time is funny. Does that sound familiar at all? So would you call it Dark Tower fan fiction? Because I had the same kind of question rolling around in my head. Uh in setting only, not it's not. We don't get enough of a, a picture into Marcus's interactions with Roland or who Roland was for them to really say it's the same Roland. It's very much implied, but it's there's not enough interaction with him to say it's really the same. It's just I would say it's Dark Tower inspired heavily. Okay. Well, I got the impression that the 
I mean, obviously there was a Roland because Affyland shows Marcus the picture, and it's the same Roland that they both knew. So, but since you forget people right after they pass on or go, you know, how how do they both remember? But I mean, that was clear very late in the book that they both knew the same Roland. Now, I think it's a stretch to think that the author means that it's Roland from Dark Tower because, well, in in the in the Dark Tower books, is is it a supposed to be a post-apocalyptic world now i messed it up again or is it you know that's just the way the world is yes no and kind of explaining any more clearly than that really gets into spoiling the dark tower which i don't want to do okay let's not do that because mr king has much better lawyers than we do i'm sure what did you put into your Google search to find that picture of the gun? Because you said a massive gun, and that's actually a tiny little revolver with just a long barrel. I was didn't do a very good search. I I kept looking for Roland's guns. Oh, but, okay. And let me give you his last name. I'll t- I'll type it out because I'm still not sure how to actually pronounce it. Okay, because I, I was going to say that looks like a, a 22 or maybe a 25 or a 32. One of the older. Uh, guns it's got a tiny little um cylinder on it but it, it's it's a long barrel but you can tell by the the hand grip you couldn't get more than two fingers on the thing but uh well then there, miss- there's a there's a picture of a smith and wesson 44 magnum that's that's a massive gun okay so probably something more like that but looking a lot more like what I picked, what I sent, I would yeah. expect I would expect it to have a longer a longer barrel and it had wooden grips. But yeah, what you're saying, it's as big as that is, but as big as the one I sent looks. Yeah, and and again, yeah, and you said blue. This is chrome or not chrome, but uh, stainless. Yep, I understand. And it's the specific kind of result revolver where you can. I don't know the name of the action where you can hold the trigger in and fan the hammer to continue firing because that happens a lot. Yeah, nobody in the real world can hit anything that way. But it sounds like what you're talking about is like a buntline special. Oh, that's because no one in the real world's a gunslinger. I'm not so sure that there is an action that you can hold the trigger in and just fan the hammer. What they do in the the old Western movies is a single action revolver where you have to pull the hammer back, but I think it's, you pull the hammer back and then the trigger. I'm, I'm not sure if you can actually hold the trigger in and do that, but I could of course be wrong. Oh yeah. I think you can. In fact, back in the day, they had guys actually remove the trigger. Oh, okay. And I, I mean, as you say, no one could hit anything. That's because nobody's a gunslinger. It's, almost impossible to describe but i mean you see what marcus does where he can you know fire all six shots from his revolver before anybody else can move and that's normal for a gunslinger yeah like i said we had marcus hitting targets uh quite a you know small targets quite a distance away doing that and that that only happens in the movies uh yeah if you're standing right in front of somebody you could you could uh, probably do that, but are you if you're standing that close, you get the job done with one bullet anyway. Shoot, with a handgun, especially a revolver, it takes a lot of practice before you can hit a large object that's far away. Yeah, I don't think I'd qualify as a gunslinger. No, me neither. I have a hard time hitting large objects far away with long guns. 
I would, but only if you count just picking it up and just chucking it at somebody, like literally slinging the gun, then I could be a gunslinger. If you could throw the gun and hit the person, you could you could shoot them with a bullet. That that's close enough that you could hit them with a bullet. Any any further than you could actually that you could accurately throw the gun is very difficult. You know, you, you got to practice. Well, but that's how these yeah. people learned is practicing until they were stupid. Yeah, they, and that's sorry. I mean, as with anyone who becomes you know, uncommonly skilled with anything, there is the one way to do it. And that is practice until you're sick of doing it and then do it that much more. Yeah, but okay. And that was another thing about this world is how do you do that when only one in 30 rounds fires? How do you, how do you get that much ammo that you can practice that much with it? That is the one piece that's a little unbelievable given that he that Marcus could shoot like a gunslinger, but the only way even the gunslingers learned to do that was a ridiculous amount of practice. Was that the question I was supposed to ask you again? I, I don't know, but we got there anyway. Now, one thing I thought that wasn't explained: where you know they talked about the tanks out in the desert and people would go there. You know, basically they didn't run, and they're hoping to find boots from a dead tank operator. It was apparently the desert was littered with military hardware, and at some point there had been in a war. But you know now we're since the we're we're post uh, uh, spoilers. It uh, the whole book makes, makes it seem like they went from in a flash they went from a normal world to the whatever you know the after the whatever. So where did the war come from? Well. It was not so much a flash. I think it was more of a yawn. And you know, I mean that—that's why I'm thinking that this, this, the, the whatever is uh, was caused by some sort of intelligence. Because if you want people to start stop fighting a war, easiest way would make them be to make them forget who they are and what they were fighting about. Yeah, that would work. And we did find out in the latter half of the book that this is. The whatever includes some kind of time travel. At least it's not time travel. It's more like dimension travel or something. And it explains extreme decay because, you know, a, a Branya, she's still a young woman. So it couldn't have been uh, if everybody just suddenly lost their memory and uh, they... Uh, continued in the same timeline the, the this huge amount of decay we we see around us that that the all the vehicles most of the bodies are completely rusted out and and, and the paint is always completely gone and and uh, all that that's that wouldn't be explained and let's say it'd been 30 years you know between uh you know and obviously a Bronya, there are there you get later in the book uh, to the listeners there are flashbacks to the to before the whatever explains you know help, helps explain to the reader what's going on and Ramuel somehow gets transported well not somehow uh, at the end of the book he falls into a basement that is sort of like a time portal and uh, winds up back at the beginning of the whatever. And it's it sort of had the whatever sort of has elements of the rapture because people just disappear, and some you know some of them at least came back. I get, I get an idea that the population is you know nowhere near 
what the population of the Earth is now, that some people either just were transported directly to the afterlife or that they, you know, they're going to appear sometime in, later in the future. Uh, but, you know, so there are, there are definitely, I think, religious undertones to this. You, you have the guy who keeps showing up like an angel to Ramula Ova and to, and to Abranya. Uh, apparently he can move through time or in space or whatever at will. And right after the whatever where Abranya still had her wits about her, uh, she asked if it was short for Jehovah. And he says, that, no, definitely not. I'm not, I'm no kind of angel. So, um, there's, and this is probably, you know, if, if this is freaking the listeners out, then, uh, all these different bits we throw in here, cause we don't, t- we tend not to tell the story. Well, if we told the story, you wouldn't need to read the book. So get the book. Actually, that's one of the things I really loved about this series of books. Um, trying to say this in a way that isn't derogatory or offensive to people like being somebody who was not raised in like a judeo-christian background like christian mythology and and mythology is probably not a polite word but i can't think of a better one is fascinating to me and just how this plays with some of those ideas is really cool especially like if you know a little bit about it, it it there's connections that are that are insanely interesting to me like like we were talking about all the um the names of the tankers like they if you if you go back all those names are some kind of strange bastardization of hebrew words that are related to angels so i mean there's there's that and there's there's hints that they may be angels but then at the same time it's kind of discounted you know they say no nah, that's not what it is and like the whole ova yeah it makes sense that that's jehovah but even that character is totally not what you think of. <laughs> it wouldn't wouldn't even be. It's just like kind of in, in my mind is even if these characters are representing that mythology, like, you know, the mythology that we have is passed down for, you know, thousands of years. And in how much has it changed from what it really is? And maybe this is what it would really look like. And we just have this built up expectation that it would be, that it would look different, but really it's, it's, it's grungier and dirtier than we, we would imagine. Um, we imagined as perfection and it's just kind of this worn out and tattered thing that um, it's just more interesting. I think. Well, there is indication that Ramuel at least did wasn't around before the, whatever that he came from somewhere as as part of the whatever, and all the tankers are that way. However, Afuland has this photograph of him and Roland where they're serving in the military uh, somewhere together. So, and, and him not with the carrying around the tank, I think, in in the uh, in the picture. So, obviously, Afuland comes from before the whatever. I'm not I'm not entirely sure that they made a point one way or the other about whether or not he had a tank in the picture with Roland. I'm not sure if I'm pulling this from the second book or not. It's not really a spoiler either way. Um, a tanker specifically mentions I woke up and I had this tank. So I, I would assume that they did exist before the whatever. Uh, well, the, the feeling you get is they existed kind of in the time leading up to the whatever. Yeah, I'm not sure because how would they remember that if they don't even remember their own names? That's one thing that's particular to the tankers. 
that they actually have their names tattooed on their neck and every one of them it's a it's a strange name you know not like anybody else's name I got most, you. Most, and most of the people in the story they have you know regular names like bob and sally well no i guess the old old woman it was it I heard it like it was a regular name, but it was what was her name? It had like an extra letter in it than I would expect. So, see, I got the impression from the statement about uh, I woke up and had this tank, not as I woke up and had the tank that I didn't have the day before. I think it's just I woke up and don't remember anything before waking up and had this tank. Right, that was my impression entirely. I began existing by waking up and having this tank. Yeah, exactly. Like, I know I must have been here before this, but I, I can't prove it, and I can't make any claims about it. And like I said bef- before the break, there are some indications that this is not our Earth that they're on, because when they're in the airport, there's signage, and I, I got the impression that this was, you know, regular printed signage, not something that one of the crazy religious groups had painted over that the airport was in the district of some sort, I, I forget what term they use, but some sort of uh, religious leader. And they, they do talk about in the flashbacks to when the uh, uh, whatever is starting. Uh, this, you know, if you, when they talk about the, the papers and you read the stories in the papers, to her, or, or you connect the stories in the papers to a year, it's 1983. And they talk about Reagan is probably in a uh, in a bunker somewhere. So we have a President Reagan, but they also talk about um, you know like uh, religious leaders as well. In other words, it sounds like in this reality, before the whatever, uh, America was some sort of theocracy. Also, Dark Tower esque. Not the theocracy part, but the. Maybe our world, but not quite kind of thing. Yeah, I noticed a lot of uh, religious overtones to it as well. Um, In the quotations, in the names of the chapters, um, I mean, on and on and on. It it kept saying, or it kept trying to hint that it wasn't religious, but it, a lot of it was. There's, there's no two ways about it. Um, I got to let go of my, key here to scroll but uh did anybody else catch the kansas reference no no the uh the lyrics or or the the uh what they say over people as they're lighting them up on the funeral pyre that's lyrics from dust in the wind i did catch that actually i forgot about it till you mentioned it yeah i think i remember it now too uh there was one other little thing in my notes that i took that was, and I don't remember where it happened, but the other was a, uh, it's another Stephen King drop name drop, is they mentioned Richard Bachman, which was Stephen King's pen name when he wanted to be writing and not writing as Stephen King. Oh, okay. And I, I, as I said, I don't remember where they dropped it. I remember, I can see that I wrote it down. Yeah, so the religious... Uh overtone here one one particular one is right at the end of the book the last chapter is called and dust you shall eat um and then it was semi-quoted like everything in this that has to do with religion is kind of semi-quoted nothing's a, a a direct quote from any 
translation of the Bible that I've ever read, and I've read several. Um, but uh, at one point, you know, when in Genesis, when God curses uh, the devil, he says, you know, you shall go on your belly and dust you shall eat. Something to that effect. And it's kind of paraphrased in this story. And, and um, uh, Raphulan, I think I saw you, Aphulin, right? Aphulin says it twice, and then uh, Marcus thinks he sees wings, but that are made of bones and tatters. So that kind of gives the impression that he's a fallen angel, and which would give the impression that Ramuel is an angel. But the more I thought about it going through it, I think that Ramuel is also a fallen angel and that the whatever is his chance at redemption that that was kind of what i got out of this and if that's not it then i completely do not understand the last chapter of this book i don't really understand the last chapter anyway well i would say that they're uh not so much there's because uh necessarily they've done something that made them fall uh you know it's 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 not a punishment it's just that all the angels fell and became tankers because obviously there was a good and an evil because what marcus saw you're right he said you know he saw these bony leathery wings on afulan and on uh, on ramuel he saw these beautiful bird-like wings butterflies they were made of butterflies no, 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 no. You're 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 confusing. Hit that was Marx's perception, and all oh, the girls. I'm sorry, but her perception was that R- Ramiel was you know had butterflies all around him, where uh, uh, Affulan had creepy crawly insects that you want to step on all around him. Oh, okay, yeah, all right. I think I conflated the two, but I I think that. I think I agree that all the uh, tankers are something else. We'll go with angels for lack of a better term. But I think that Aphulan specifically became a fallen angel because they said that uh, Ova says that all of the tankers have a specific purpose and Aphulan turned from his purpose to do what he wanted instead. And that seems to be the metaphor for the fall. Oh, how Tolkien-esque of him. All I know is is that scene where, at the end where they're getting ready to fight and the tanks fall off. I was like, this is the biggest fist-pumpy moment of this entire book. I was just like, let's do this. I was ready for it. Yeah, but then nothing happened. Well, the good guy beat the bad guy. Yes, but how? It never said how. That's, see, that's why I didn't get the, the last chapter. I had to listen twice to the – actually, I listened twice to the first chapter because I couldn't figure out what the hell the setting was. And then I got it the second time. But I listened to the last chapter twice as well too, and I still don't really get it. I don't understand what happened and what the purpose was. And I, I felt very let down by the, the last chapter. Well, he, yeah, he, won, he won by being the good guy. Yeah, but the town, the uh, ghost town or reappearing town or whatever, it it zapped out of existence while they were fighting. So we don't know who won. Yeah, there's that too. I mean, I think there's a very clear indication that that Ramuel won, but it doesn't say what he did. It doesn't say how he did it. Um, if all he did was be the good guy and walk into him, that could have happened much earlier in the story. So it wasn't like the old... Uh, 
you know, trope of, well, you have to know that you're the hero before you can be the hero. It wasn't like that, you know. Um, just- I think if it was anything like that, it was not only was he the hero, he was willing to die being the hero. And I don't know that he was before that. Okay, yeah, maybe. Which does kind of fall into the you have to you have to know you're the hero before you're the hero, but in, in this case he was willing to not walk away if that's what it took to make the other guy not walk away. Right. It's uh, well, that's a familiar science fiction, uh, you know, meme. You know, like and let this be your last battlefield. And there's a couple Star Trek things where you know the, you had to. The good guy had to stay behind to battle the evil guy f- for all eternity. That would be exhausting, just fighting for all eternity. You ever done, like, a three-minute round? That's, wow. Not fun. Actually, I take that back. It's a lot of fun, but not continuously. Right, exactly. It is super fun for, for the first minute of the three. I um just avoid fighting. I do in general with like people I don't know, but with people who consensually agree to it, it's a lot of fun. Oh yeah, yeah. I mean, you you can you can say sparring instead of fighting if you like. The first rule of Fight Club: hit the other guy. Repeat. Yeah, try not to get hit on your way in. So there was one moment in the book, and you know we said all through the book they kept saying, and he referenced the time there was, uh, you know, such as it is, or time such as it is. There was one spot in the whole book where that felt out of place for me, and that was when they were um, assaulting the uh, the town of Allgood, and they were kind of in a hurry, and he seemed to be hurrying, and there was something about, you know, he waited for a few moments before opening the hatch or something, but, you know, he waited a few moments, time such as it was. But I didn't think that was good because in that spot, time wasn't such as it was. They were actually in a hurry at that point. And it, it felt out of place. And it, it felt like he read it fast, too. Anybody else catch that? I don't remember that, but it's not saying it didn't happen. Oh, it did. I listened to that chapter twice, too, because that chapter was just badass. It was. Oh, yeah. And the main ingredient in her tinctures seemed to be love, because there was really nothing in them. They were after, like, food coloring the whole time, and, like, the uh, the tankers didn't get it. But she's the only character who is not a tanker that Ova says, well, you have a purpose. So I think there's something behind that. Yeah. That's um, the only other story that I know of that plays as openly as this with, um, with, with Judeo Christian tropes is, uh, is it's actually a comedy. It's um, the movie dogma. Uh, and- oh God. Dogma is, Awesome. Dog, Dogma's great. It is. It's a really, really good movie. <laughs> it's really funny. And it's it's the whole playing with the Judeo-Christian stuff is done so well in that movie that, I, I mean, I don't see how anybody could be offended by it. Even though it's super, super offensive, I, I just don't see how you could be. It was done so well with such... Oh, oh, my, oh my mother was definitely offended by it. Oh, man. I, I don't... I don't know. Anyway, in that, they... they called the only person who wasn't an angel that had a purpose. She was the last scion. Um, so the, the last blood relative of Christ. And, you know, maybe that might be the, that was kind of the role that I saw Abranya in, in this, though it was never even close to being spelled out like that. 
I mean, there's enough hooks in this that, I mean, it's these questions that made me just like drop everything and go to the next book, hoping that I would find the answers to the questions that I wanted to know. Ha ha. Lols. I just really liked the setting and the theme and the way the guy spoke, the, the, the way that he talked. I could just listen to that go on. There didn't even really have to be a, a plot to it for me. I just enjoyed that. What I would ideally like from these books is because I think that he is capable of writing these and leaving enough hooks and answering enough things to make them satisfying that it reminds me of like the old days, like the men's adventure novels where like you would have somebody and they'd write a book about a character, you know, a new book would drop every like eight months or something like that. I would love to see like a tincture book every year. And just like, just go with it. Like, just keep running this story forever because I think you can flex in and out characters because the world is so cool and you can flesh out the world, but it's so ambiguous that you could keep building on it as long as you wanted. Okay. I thought uh, from one of the reviews I saw in the second book that they brought this pretty much the story to the end in the second book. If that's the end, I'm pissed. Todd, you said that you'd be happy listening to this and him answering questions about the world would it really be that satisfying if he answered any of the questions or it would be like when uh i didn't watch it but it would would it be more like lost when people were just pissed because they thought of it as purgatory the whole time and there it is it's purgatory even though they said it wasn't no because and, and this is me having read the second book there are enough things answered to where it, it there's a buy-in to it like you're not it's not like Lost, where they, they, they give you all this crazy shit through the whole show and then, you know, obviously not knowing where that was going to go and then just making something up at the end. <laughs> I mean, that's pretty much what happened. Um, but with these books... Wait, he, wait, wait. JJ didn't leave us his notes on where this was going? Shit, we got to come up with something. Let's make it purgatory. Right. Anyways, <laughs> but like there's enough in the story to to pull you in that is answered but yet every time something gets answered there's another wrinkle to the question so it's not that the question ever goes away it's that the question just kind of gets deeper here's the answer but then three more questions nice jj abrams jab by the way i appreciate that well you gotta admit from the from the beginning you have a plane that breaks up midair and people live do I sound okay? I switched over to PC since Plumble kept crashing and battery on my tablet about dead anyway. Yeah, you sound fine. So are we out of questions? We may be out of questions that have answers. Yeah, I I think I said most of what I had wanted to bring up. Oh, wait. There's one more. What the hell was up with the black hole? That didn't make any sense to me. No, it wasn't a black hole. Read the second book. Well, oh, that gate, that was a portal that uh, uh, Ramuel f- was able to fall through and go back to the whatever. I figured that much out. Of course, the second time he went in, how he just popped right back three minutes later, I thought that was a little different. I think he popped out three minutes earlier. It just looked like it was later. Haven't you ever played Portal, Pokey? It's It's like that. Yeah, I played the hell out of the first one. The second one's also pretty badass. I've heard. I haven't played it, but I've heard it's just as good, maybe even better. At one point, all the games on my rotation were sequels. Portal 2, Borderlands 2, Bioshock 2. I haven't played many games in a long time, except for uh, 
I played. I went and played. Went back and played a little bit of Gran Turismo three and four for a short bit, and a little bit of uh, Ace Combat. I don't know, maybe five, and then other than that, it's just like games on my phone, like casual games. So, does anybody have anything else? I think I'm all done. Anybody have a book, or do you have anything else? No, no. I just want to impress upon everybody listening: if you did not listen to this book, you need to. Um, and if you like it, please buy the uh, the ebook so we can give this man some scratch, so he will continue to write good books. Yeah, there's always that. I don't think we say that enough. Yes, folks, your local gunslinger. Oh, okay. Speaking of gunslingers, I thought that there's one more thing. Sorry, I thought that Ramiel's choice of a double double barrel shotgun was about the worst choice you could make for a gun when your ammo is only about, you know, one in 30 shots is going to be effective. Those things compared to other kinds of guns take forever to, to, to follow up a shot with, you know, I think if I was out in a place where only one in 30 rounds was going to work or even one in three or one in six or whatever, you want either a revolver if it's a handgun or you want like a pump action or a lever action gun if it's a long gun i don't even think i'd want a bolt action in that case but certainly not like a, a some not a break barrel gun that only holds two shots you know i i didn't think he chose a very good gun for that and not a shotgun either because all these shots were over great distances and shotguns have very limited range that's all i have to say about guns in that story yeah, I agree. I agree with you because uh, you you know like I do. If you did have a double barrel and you fired a fired a round off and it it misfired, you you break that sucker to, to to load a new round. That uh, uh, that round's liable to pick right then go off. That yeah. sounds that sounds mildly terrifying. Yeah, it sounds like Joe Biden picked this guy's gun. <laughs> I don't know if anybody ever heard Joe Biden say the best thing you can do is get yourself a double barrel shotgun. And if you feel threatened, go out in the back porch and shoot it off in the air twice. I've not heard that, but wow. That'll yeah. work. No it, it, no, it wouldn't work. It leaves you with an empty gun. And uh, it's the, the author, this technical nitpicking, I mean, because the uh, author seems confused uh, during different times in the story about whether this was a one or two tri- two trick double barrel shotgun. I mean, you can have double barrels where one trigger fires the first barrel and then second trigger pull fires second barrel. But most course double barrels have two triggers, usually one behind the other, which makes it hard to shoot both at the same time. And at one point in the book, Ramuel fires both barrels once. I would say a vast majority of double barrel shotguns only have one trigger and when you pull it it switches over to the other barrel so that you can pull it again and shoot the other barrel it's it's very rare to see a, a shotgun with with two triggers let alone two side by sides you're right about that my father-in-law has a double barrel side by side with two triggers and my my lovely wife at one point decided she was going to pull both of them, and then she was flat on her back staring up at the sky. Yeah, that's a wallop. It was a good time. It was funny for for everyone but her. 
And if you're just tuning in, you've joined the Hacker Public Radio Gun Review. I had, do, I had to do that for Ken Fallon. At least this time it's somewhat topical. It, it's way topical. Because we would have just chosen different guns if we were Ramuel. We started out very much on point. This is much less of a rat hole than we usually end up down. We've been very good this week. I bet we haven't. I bet we only think we have. Once we cut that whole first part out, we've been really good this time. I don't even remember what we've talked about. Aha! Way to tie it back in. You, so you don't remember the first part of the podcast. It was so long ago, time such as it is. Also, possibly previously mentioned, 4 a.m. conference call. I know. i got to wake up tomorrow morning and go to court, of all things. So who's, I know. So who's got our next book? Uh, don't look at me, fellas. I picked this one, so it's not my turn. If no one else has one, let me go to my vault of audiobooks and pick one out. Yeah. Well, that's cheating because you've already listened to it. Oh, that's not cheating. I've listened to many of the books I've recommended. I recommended them because I liked them. Excuse me, liked them and thought they would be good conversation. Taj is saying in the chat that he has a suggestion, but he thinks everyone but him has listened to it. I don't think I'd let that stop me either. Um, go for it if you want to suggest a, uh, one that you want to hear. Why not? <laughs> I had a feeling. <laughs> you guys keep bringing it up, so it's like one of those, I gotta get to it sometime. Well, let's do it if that'll get you to read the book. I guarantee you'll read all of them. Yeah, if you thought it was hard to stop listening to this series, you're going to have a real hard time making it to, to the end of this one and stopping. What do you think, X1101? You want to let Taj pick this book this time and you get the next one? Good with me. All right, sounds like it's a done deal. We will be doing Trader Tales 1 Quarter Share by Nathan Lowell because everybody tells me I need to read it. And apparently I'm going to waste a lot of time <laughs> reading these books, but here we go. Oh, no, it is not wasted time. If if anything, it is not wasted time. Okay, maybe I shouldn't have said wasted. I will spend a great deal of time listening to all these books, which I'm cool with. I'm, I'm down for any good sci-fi, so let's do this. And, uh, yeah, bring your coffee. I can I can do that. All right, so, yeah, that'll be our next audio book. will be uh, Trader Tales Book One Quarter Share by Nathan Lowell. Um, it's... Definitely available on patiobooks.com. It's probably available uh, in other places as well. I, Nathan's got several websites. He's got, um, oh boy, he's got nathanlowell.com. He's got uh, Durandis. Uh, Durandis, thank you. That's one I was trying to think of. Durandis, is that a .com or .net? Yeah, I don't recall. He's got a bunch of websites. If you did a Google search for Nathan Lowell, he's he's got a bunch. He's a he's a really cool guy too. They interviewed him several years ago now on uh, the Linux Link Tech Show, and he was just an awesome guy with a really cool story, um, a cool life story, and um, just just neat. And and uh, very few people don't like the Trader's Tales books, from what I've heard, and it seems like the people who who I've talked to who don't like them um, didn't really give them a fair chance. They thought that it opened too slow and, and they didn't like the slow pace of it. And it is a fairly slow pace. I'll, I'll warn you there. Um, but uh, I'll also warn you, if you don't listen to it, you're really missing out. So that it. I think that's a wrap. 
All right. Thanks, everyone, for listening. Thanks, everyone, for being on the show. And uh, tune in tomorrow for another exciting episode of Hacker Public Radio. Night, everybody. Good night. Peace, people. Folks. You've been listening to Hacker Public Radio at hackerpublicradio.org. We are a community podcast network that releases shows every weekday, Monday through Friday. Today's show, like all our shows, was contributed by an HBR listener like yourself. If you ever thought of recording a podcast, then click on our contribute link to find out how easy it really is. Hacker Public Radio was founded by the Digital Dog Pound and the Infonomicon Computer Club and is part of the binary revolution at binrev.com. If you have comments on today's show, please email the host directly, leave a comment on the website, or record a follow-up episode yourself. Unless otherwise stated, today's show is released under a Creative Commons Attribution Sharealike 3.0 license. All right, do you guys want to get started? Or is there some more nerd stuff to talk about first? Like we're not going to talk about the nerd stuff in the middle of the book club. Oh, I I meant like on a personal level. Like I was all but offered a job in IT this week. Well, awesome. And prepare never to sleep again. Oh, no, I don't think I'm ready to take that job. (laughs) Yeah, I I got scheduled this week and next week for a con call on Tuesday morning starting at 4 a.m. Nice. So, and I have this thing where if I know I have to get up earlier than my alarm usually goes off, I sleep like shit and I keep waking up. So I've been up since about 3.30 and I've had two cups of a Mountain Dew and two cups of, I'm going to call it coffee, but that kind of does it an injustice because I bought local French roast, made it in a French press and put way too many beans in it. So this stuff could like wake the dead or something. Sounds only like my kind you, of coffee. Only if you French kissed him. That's not happened, Bowie. Sorry. Yeah, I don't know if it ever actually wakes me. My stupid phone, I've got notifications off. Uh, every time something comes in, it, it, it doesn't ring, but it vibrates. You know, and it's, it's close enough to where I sleep to... I don't think I've ever actually been woken up by it, but it must probably enough to disturb my sleep. I don't know how to get in and turn that stuff off. I mean, I don't need it vibrating every time I get an email. Uh, I use a, a, I'm assuming it's an Android phone. I use an app called Sound Manager from the Play Store that messes with, does all the volumes. I don't know if it'll do the vibrate settings or not, but it messes with all of the volumes on a timed schedule. So people are like, oh, well, I just turned my volume up or down. I almost never touch my volume on my phone unless I'm going into a meeting in the middle of the day and I mute it. But like at 8 o'clock at night, it goes down to almost nothing. At 6 o'clock in the morning, it comes up to the normal volumes, and I, I just don't worry about it. That's okay. pretty good. Yeah, I think I had it on my old phone. I had some, something similar. I just hadn't thought about doing it again. I'm a sysadmin. Anything I can automate, I automate. It's pretty good. Oh, I When I switched over my phones, I was terribly, terribly disappointed in an app that I've been using kind of heavily. Not heavily, heavily, but I found a cookbook app in um in the f-droid market and i've been putting all my recipes into that as i make stuff i've been putting it in or if i find stuff in a magazine or whatever i just been putting it in there well i got my new phone 
and come to find out there is no reliable way to import and export your recipes from that thing. So all that time I spent putting in there is just completely wasted. Well, that's terrible. You can tell it to export them one recipe at a time via email. And then you open your email and one at a time attempt to import them. But as I said before, there's no reliable way to import and export them because it only works about half the time. And it's very frustrating. Well, that's garbage. If I ever get my, I've got a little, another little project I'm working on kind of in cheek called the open cookbook project where my goal is to build a set of scripts that you give it recipe files in kind of a modified markdown format and it'll generate a cookbook for you. That's uh, EPUB. That sounds cool. Uh, right now it's about three scripts and it's wicked simple. It hasn't actually gotten to compressing them to e- into an EPUB yet, but it's just a series of HTML pages. The idea would – my long-term goal is to you know, be able to press it out to an EPUB and then open that up on Kindle so that my Kindle is my cookbook. Yeah, Pokey, have you tried just – uh, locating the folder on the old on the old phone where the where the app lives, and then install the app on the new phone, and then just uh, copy the files across. I think so. I think I did try that, but Android obscures system files so much. It's it's I'm not good at that. It's Linux, except it isn't. Yeah, exactly. Except it's not Linux at all. This is the number one reason I refuse to buy any phone that I don't already know has a root for it. Oh, I'm running Cyanogen mod, which also is not Linux. Well, because it's still Android. Couldn't you use Titanium backup and just back up the app data and then transfer it over? That might actually work because Titanium is badass. Maybe I could. I, I didn't know what Titanium backup is. I still give, don't know. Give me a minute. I'll find a link because I use that all the time and I love it. Oh, I'll, you don't need to do a link now. I'll look it up tomorrow. That's cool. Or someday soon, maybe, or not soon. But I have the Google, therefore it is quick to do. That's true. So, Pokey, does uh, uh, Mod come with a bunch of Microsoft apps now? No, that is Cyanogen OS, my friend. You're confusing the two things. They are not the same. Does Cyanogen Mod still exist separately from Cyanogen OS since they started a company and got in bed with Microsoft and I don't know what else they're doing. I kind of stopped paying attention. If my nightly builds are any indication, then yes. Yes, they are separate. There are some people who are in both camps, but um, the majority of, it looks like from my perspective, the Cyanogen mod people are still the people that were always there. So it's the open office, LibreOffice thing, except they stayed with the original project? Well, they're not interested in making money on it, <laughs> so of course they stay. They they're they're interested in sort of the open source, you know, free to put on ROM that everybody likes instead of you know the built in ROM that they will quit supporting as soon as they make a deal with another country. Well, but that's the ROMs notwithstanding. That's the same kind of reason that the LibreOffice folks did LibreOffice is because the OpenOffice folks weren't or couldn't do the things they wanted to do. Right. And they forked it to get some work done, but uh, this is different. I think the, and I have nothing to back this up on. It's just the impression that I get from the couple of news stories that I've heard is that um, 
the open office, excuse me, open office. Yeah. The, uh, like maybe cyanogen himself is probably working on cyanogen OS and the community is still working on cyanogen mod. Um, but everything I understand about cyanogen mod, the, uh, the goal of the project is to provide vanilla Android open source project. It's not, you know, like specially tweaked in any way, shape or form for any particular purposes. And I think the idea is for them to stay like that. I mean, they, they do tweak for devices, but not for, you know, special purposes, I guess. I wonder how long until they change their name, because that's like, not the first time I've heard that joke about the Microsoft thing, and I'm sure eventually it will make them angry enough that they're like, you know what, just forget it. We're changing our name. If they do, then I'll go do that instead because uh, I kind of like Cyanogen. Then again, I've been considering looking for another uh, OS for the phone anyway because um, I kind of like the idea of uh, like uh, your your location working by you know by by picking out Wi-Fi signals near it and just knowing where those are at. And you can't do that without Google uh, if you use Android or CyanogenMod. I I don't believe that that works in CyanogenMod. But there are plenty of other ways to get it done if your ROM comes with that functionality built into it, comes with that that software package um, that kind of hooks into that. And then there's several different providers and all kinds of stuff. And I'd like to play with that. just see what works and what doesn't, but I, I don't want to do it through Android and it doesn't really work through Firefox. I tried or through Mozilla. I tried the Mozilla one, but they only collect the data. They don't share it back out probably for legal reasons. I don't know. about yeah, I that. just haven't. I was going to say, I don't know I, about that. Ah, we did it again. <laughs> I'm, I'm going to keep talking. Um, I don't know about that specific functionality, but I went from Cyanogen Mod. Ow. <laughs> Cyanogen Mod. <laughs> <What was> <laughs> That was me dropping the X-Acto knife. Uh, <laughs> wow. Anyways, I went from CyanogenMod to uh, AOKP, and I love AOKP just because of all the the little knobs and switches that I get to play with. And I was going to say, I haven't cared enough to significantly try and de-Googlefy my phone. I just install Cyanogen and then install the G apps. For me, it's been, I want root, and I don't want the crap that Verizon put on there. I still use the Google stuff, but I mean, as far as my information, it's all off my own cloud server. Like my contacts, my calendar, all that comes off of own cloud, not Google. So basically, they just get a login and an email, and that's about it. Eh, all my calendar is still in Google because I just don't care. Yeah, my calendar and contacts are in Google. And then, of course, I have the Play Store because I can't bring myself to... to tear free of it even though I, I probably should and then um think oh, it's almost it i used the star thing the google star map thing that's kind of neat and i've had google voice since before it was google voice so i have that number as well grand central yep i was grand central user though i have that i actually have an ohio number on one of my google accounts through grand central and then i have um a portland maine number through my other account because my actual cell phone number is an Ohio phone number and I wanted to have a local number I could give out to people. Yeah, of course. And it's just cool technology because I was a, you know, I was a VoIP guy for years and I just thought it was awesome. And you can do some cool stuff with asterisk plus Google voice. That is cool. Not that I have, but I just know you can. 
Yeah, and you get all that set up, and then people just text you while you're driving anyway. But how are they supposed to know you're driving? I don't know. That sounds like a good 90% of my projects. I can do this, so I'm going to start it. Not that I'm ever going to finish it, but I'm going to set up everything to where I can do it if I ever decide I want to. Oh, God, that sounds like me so much. That's why I love OpenStreetMap Project, because I use it all the time. I wish. I've tried so many times. It's just the map sucks so bad for here. I mean, like, it's terrible. Fix it. That takes time. Yes, it does. It does. But it's very satisfying time. I the la- Every time I think about using OpenStreetMap, it's like, I want to spend 10 minutes and get this running on my phone and stuff. And then I don't. And then I need maps. And so I go back to Google. Well, I'll tell you what. I really don't use OpenStreetMaps for navigating streets. Uh, I'll confess that. I have my TomTom uh, Tom in the car and... You know, it's a standalone device. It works fine most of the time, so I just use that. But when I go out in the woods and, you know, I'm doing that, open street map all the time for trails, for hiking, for riding a bike or anything like that. It's just – it's all I use. And see, my in-laws have a TomTom, and we will travel with them, us using our Android phone, Google Maps, them using TomTom. And they get lost and they get bad directions and it's just terrible. And so either you use it better or have a better one or something because I, after having seen people use a TomTom, I could never go away from Google Maps for GPS. Oh, really? I don't know. I just uh, tell them to update their maps. Most of them come with a like one free map update. If they haven't updated, go ahead and update it. But also – while you're helping them with that, while it's plugged into the computer and you're downloading stuff from there, you can download my POI lists that I put up there. At least the one that's all of the, uh, I have one POI list that's all of the uh, New Hampshire State Liquor Stores. So, you know, those are actually a point of interest for me. I know. what the, New Hampshire's a place for vacationers. What vacationer does not want to does not wonder where's the nearest liquor store? There's 72 of them in New Hampshire, and I have them all. Um, I would say the vacationers who are current or previous members of AA. They're probably vacationing with family that they love who deserve a drink for putting up with them for all the years that they ruin their lives. Point. Yeah, I was going to say, I, I, I wouldn't want that, but I was like, yeah, but my wife would. She has to deal with me. So <laughs> I guess that, that confirms that. No, I'm glad you brought up the whole like hiking and trails thing, Pokey. I never even thought of that. Like that's, that like gives me an excuse to get off my ass and go hike and like fix maps like that, that I can get into. Yep. Just use, uh, well, you can do it with Osmond. There are ways with Osmond you can record your track and it uploads. Um, but I like a standalone for that. I'll use, um, uh, I have to look at it now. All of a sudden I can't think of the name of it. So has anyone heard the, uh, the book club that I edited and got out yet? I haven't had a chance to listen to it yet. No, but I got email notifications that people are talking about it in um, on FragDev. I listened you know, to it. Did it, did I do an okay job with editing? I still sound stupid, so no. <laughs> but is that editing, or is that just the source material I'm working with here? I'm magic. I can make anybody sound like a genius through audio, audio editing. Sometimes I choose not to, but... <laughs> well, I'm not a genius, so... No, it was all good. For example, when I edit, every time I say like or um, I take it out, and I sound like a genius. <laughs> see, see, when Pokey and I say like and um, 
there's a pause, and so it's easy to take out. You say, like this thing right here. It's there. I'm not that good. Yeah, that took training on my part because I edited several of my early HPRs where there were not pauses there, and it was really hard to cut out ums. And when you're editing like that, your own ums sound like crazily irritating. So you you like nitpick at every one of them. And so I kind of trained myself to put a pause in there so that I could take them out. But now that I do book club shows, I try not to take out my ums and stuff because it feels like I'm being unfair if I take out mine and not everybody else's and everybody else's isn't always easy to do. So now I mostly leave mine in unless they're like, um, see, I tried to take them out where I could. Well, and you've got to leave some of them because like, if you take them all out, see, I said, because like, you know, because that's how I do. Uh, <laughs> if you take them all out, it's, it's, it's weird. It sounds unnatural. So it's like you, once again, I did it again. Uh, you have to like, really, I I'm going to, I'm going to get one of the, are you at all a no agenda guy? Tosh? I am. Yeah. I, there's seven of these rolling around in my head as we have this conversation. <laughs> I'm going to get one of the little bells and ding every time someone says like or um. But but that's just more shit to edit out, so no, I won't. (laughs) Like or um is okay. I got the guy who sits next to me at at work. He now picks up on yeah, no. Sorry, what? Yeah, no. See, I say that on purpose. Oh, man, that was... That, to me, was fingernails on a cheese grater way before No Agenda ever even mentioned it. So that one, that one I hear, it's, it's yeah, it sticks out a lot. And I got the guy who sits next to me to notice it. I listened to No Agenda for a while, but every time I start up listening to them, I just get really depressed because everything they talk about is, I'm sure, fairly accurate, but really, really depressing. Oh, yeah, man. I've been thinking, like, for a week now. Have you listened recently? I stopped six months ago or something, so I would say no, not recently. Oh, man. Okay, so they mentioned uh, two two facts put together, really, like, open – out in the open facts that anyone can look up and verify. It's no problem, but when you put them together, it's the most terrifying thought I've had in a long time is, uh, you know, there's a big push right now for automated driving, you know, autonomous vehicles, and – um, they said that I think I think they said it was in Nevada. There's actually an autonomous truck driving the road right now, and I forget whether they said it was uh, Volvo or Mercedes. I forget. I think they said it was Mercedes. So they have an autonomous truck driving the roads, delivering things, and uh, it's it you know Nevada. I don't know if they they loopholed it in or made it legal or whatever, but that's happening now, and. You know, so now this, we're perfectly capable of having fully autonomous trucks. And the other fact that they brought up was in all 50 states in the United States, with no exception, the leading job is truck driver. So they're trying to put a whole group of people out of work. I don't think that's their intention, but that's going to be the result. And well, not look, just- at the, look at the how autom- automation, uh, you know, uh, uh, change with UPS, you know. Now they've got now they've got that clipboard thing they carry around, and and they push a couple buttons on it when they deliver the package, and you can see on the internet that your package is downloaded. And it used to be the guy carried an actual clipboard full of receipts, 
and you you know you'd have to sign and at the end of the day you know when when he when the driver got back at five or six o'clock then you probably you know you had this back room full of clerks that had to you know uh take the I just said, you know, uh, but had to take those receipts and, and put everything into their computer or before the days when they had a computer, whatever, you know, whatever filing system they had, or maybe they did them the next day or something probably, but, uh, and there was enough. This is hard, Pokey, but you, you get my point. You had a whole class of people that were just out of a job then uh, when they started carrying around those electronic tablets. Yes, two things. First, it wasn't you know that I I key in on. It's yeah no, uh, like yes no. People say yeah no all the time. It it's, drives me batty. But anyway, uh, the other thing is, yeah, I, I am not to invalidate your point, um, but the number of clerks that were put out of business compared to the the number of jobs is you know fairly insignificant, but. If they start replacing actual truck drivers, that's a majority of the jobs in America is people driving trucks. Well, they'd have to do it all in one day because the first time that came around, the Teamsters would would go on strike and say, "Look, yeah, you better you better put those automated systems." And all all it's going to take is one accident with an automated vehicle, and that's going to be into that. Oh, I don't know about that because you know it's going to statistically insignificant that one accident it's going to be sensationalized but over time you get you get uh you know accustomed to that your your senses get dulled to that and i i want to correct myself i said that it would be a majority of jobs not a majority of jobs just the leading job well and to to further back up your point there we didn't take cars off the road the first time someone got died by getting hit by a car that same logic applies that the first time someone gets hit by an automatic car. We don't take the car off the road. We just file a bug report and fix the bug. Yeah. Yeah, I was going to say, like, I think once this happens and there are automated trucks or cars or anything, which come on, bring it on. I'm ready for that. Um, I hate driving. so <laughs> It's good for me. Um, the the statistical, just how how bad of drivers human beings are. The machines are going to be better automatically. So, yeah, that one wreck is going to have a huge news blitz, but it's not going to talk about the probably thousands of crashes that didn't happen because they were using an automated system. So, like, in the grand scheme of things, it will be a whole lot less. If I'm I'm Mercedes and I'm the one building the automated truck and every time a a crash happens uh, involving one of my vehicles, right up until the point where Americans are desensitized to the whole look an automated vehicle was involved in an accident right up until that point, I'm going to spend every penny I can and probably go into debt to make sure that each of these accidents is deemed the fault of the human driver, not the automated machine. And that in the group chat is who you call to do it. Oh yeah. (laughs) They're evil. Hilly yeah. open strategies. Absolutely. They, they they know exactly what they're doing. The company I worked for before was started by them as a spinoff for their IT department. They were our biggest customer until the same time that I left. So I was, you know, neck deep in Hill and Knowlton strategies. Wow. Hey, is um, X1101 breaking up for anyone else or am I breaking up for anyone? 
Okay, I was going to ask that. Yeah, he's, he's not right now, but he broke up earlier for me. Sorry. Dodge anything? He sounds fine to me. Sorry, I'll okay. just... I'm sure my wife's watching The Office, so I'll blame that. I'm just not building the internet fast enough. It's all my fault. Yeah, I was going to yell at my wife to quit watching Daredevil, but then I was like, but it's Daredevil. Go ahead. Yeah, yes, Daredevil is not The Office. Okay. I, I can't start talking about the shows I started watching and stopped watching, so let's get started with the show. Sounds good to me. See, Pokey, we did have a lot more geeky stuff to say. Yeah, that's true. <laughs>